0: Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you've chosen this time to join us we're reaching the end of this lovely book of Marilyn Mills called One World and One Heart. And she ends the book with a a couple chapters on what she calls the peaceful revolution. And I wanna talk to you, first of all, uh, some examples or or what a peaceful revolution might look like. But then I also wanna spend a few minutes talking about the metaphysics behind it and how we might experience a personal peaceful revolution in our lives. So last week I talked about a commitment to inclusivity. The author Marilyn Mills made it clear that inclusivity requires us to invite even the invisible people into our lives, even those people that we may have trouble treating as friends. Nonetheless, we invite them into our lives. We also focused on the relationships of our lives rather than a destination. And you'll remember I talked about the difference between being on a path together versus the importance of some outside goal. The goals may come and go, but the people of our lives are are there to be cherished. Well, this week as we finish out the series, we're going to look at this idea of unity from yet another angle. We're going to put our metaphysical training to bear on how to achieve this idea of peace and even friendship in the midst of disharmony and suspicion. Okay, so I have a quiz, a short, a very short quiz, a historical quiz for you. Does anyone have a memory of what they were doing on November 10th, 1989? Now, I know there are some of you out there who say, well, I wasn't even born yet, so you'll have to bear with me. But some of us who are a little older than that, what were you doing on November 10th, 1989. I remember it vividly. I was on assignment in Denver, Colorado with a telephone company. And I was in the middle of a, of a computer conversion. I was in one of those old, uh, well, old fashioned today computer room settings with the raised floor and, you know, everything white and, and big banks of computers. And, uh, and someone rushed in with the news of what had happened that day. We all stopped work. And we told stories about the Cold War. So it was the the Berlin Wall coming down on that day, right? And many of us of that era were were born with the idea of needing fallout shelters. We were born with the idea of duck and cover if the A-bombs should fall. The, the whole idea of us not being safe in our own homes, in our own lives, because there was this, this looming potential for the world to end at the push of a button. And that the symbol, I think, of the Berlin Wall coming down was almost a a sigh of relief. Even those of us who scarcely knew the, the, the precepts around why the wall was built and things like that. Nonetheless, on that day, almost a universal celebration. And what is interesting is it was a revolution that was entirely... Peaceful. In the book that we're finishing this month, she talks about it in some detail, about how the city officials went, went around this. And in fact, there's a, a story going around that part of the reason that it was so peaceful was that uh, the mayor in, in a speech actually skipped over part of, part of his speech that was going to be somewhat more inflammatory and perhaps insightful. And he literally lost his place in his own speech and instead went to the bottom, which was more reconciliatory and uh, and more peaceful and joyous. But she also points out in the book something that not too many historians do bring to light and something that I did a little research on my own. And part of that peaceful revolution actually started at one of the Lutheran churches in East Berlin. The pastor of that church had an idea that change could happen without conflict being necessary and one of the first things that he wanted to do was to unify the german people in berlin the churches were kind of divided up between the people who wanted the communist regime and those who didn't and so you would hang out in the church that was more the the flavor of what you believed in right this uh, somewhat radical minister went out and put a sign in the lawn that said all are welcome here And he meant it, he meant that everyone was welcome there Despite what their opinions were, despite perhaps their closely held views around whether communism or more the, the westerly way of life was appropriate, he invited them all in. Uh, he did readings from the Beatitudes on how peacefulness is important in the world, around how we can make a change in our lives. And he highlighted the unity of the people who would come for those meditative services. After a while, it became known as a place where you could go and speak your mind and what in that Cold War period, oftentimes you would feel uneasy as though perhaps the, the East German police might be there listening and trying to decide if you were one of the dissenters. And, and it was like, it was like a free opinion zone. It started out with only a few people attending, uh, but week after week it grew and it grew. The sanctuary held uh, about 700 people. As it was approaching this time when the wall was going to be torn down, they started packing in a couple thousand people who were there to rally around this idea of unity and peace. And then when the the mayor made his mistake or perhaps on purpose altered his speech, basically saying that Checkpoint Charlie and the other places around the city where you could enter with the proper documents, he basically says, it's just an open city today. And so one of the first things that people did, people came and showed up with their little pickaxes and their hammers and chisels. They wanted a piece of that wall. And within just a few weeks, the wall itself had disappeared and showed up in curiosity shops. What a lovely metaphor for the Cold War to simply end up as pieces of rubble in a curiosity shop. Now, you might ask, what are, what are the metaphysics around a peaceful revolution? And in fact, we can personalize this a little bit. Sometimes I get asked, what does God have in store for us? What does God want me to experience? And I do think sometimes people take that idea too literally. They'll think that God maybe has a plan for them in terms of you should go and do this and you should go and be this. And and I don't think that God has plans for us in that way. That that would be uh, more like kismet or some some other form of of divine plan. But I do know that God wants to experience the world through us. And so would God wish us to be miserable? Would God wish us to experience the confines or the, uh, the poverty that we see in the world today? I don't think so. I think God wants to see more of what it stands for in the world and to see that through us. And so therefore, I do think that God wishes us to experience the good life, to experience peace, to experience love, because that's what it gets to experience. Experienced through us. And so the metaphysics of something like a, a peaceful revolution is that God wants the good to come on the other side of that revolution. God wants to see the openness, the freedom, the joy, the peace. And God, of course, will back up those intentions when it sees a peaceful momentum. God is right there with the resources necessary, the time necessary, right? Because it wants to experience more of that through us. When we say God is love, that's part of the, that's part of the impetus then of God, right? To see more love. When we say that God is peace or God is abundance or any of those lovely qualities that we attribute to God, it's not only a quality of God, but it's God desiring to have more of that. And the way it does that in the human realm is through us. So when we become more peaceful, when we become more loving, when we set about our own peaceful revolution, we're not doing it by ourselves. We have the full force of the divine on our side. And that's how something like that that wall in East Berlin can come down. It doesn't take but more than a few people that have that as their intention, that can see that, can taste that, And then the full forces of the divine will be brought to bear. And suddenly 2,000 people are congregating in a 700-person church, right? With the idea of peace, with the idea of unity. And whether it's uh, someone who reads a speech poorly or whether they change their mind uh, on purpose, what I know is the gates are flung open and the world changes for the better. Well, I also want to talk about bringing a peaceful revolution into your own life, and uh, I think I need to start with a joke for that. So during the Northern Irish conflict, a Jewish man gets stopped at a checkpoint by two Irishmen with rifles. Hey, what are you, Protestant or Catholic? Well, the fellow answers, I'm Jewish. Big pause. The two guards confer with each other, do some more conferring. Eventually, they get on a walkie-talkie and talk to someone back at headquarters. Finally, they go back to question the fellow again. Is that Jewish Catholic or Jewish Protestant? And so that's my question for you. How often have you organized your life so that there are only two possible answers? You see that is the source I think of all of our conflict and whether whether it's in the macrocosm, whether it's uh, uh, the world divided up by, by people who believe A or believe B or whether it's something personal and you're sitting around your own dining room table and suddenly it's either you believe A or you believe B and there's not gonna be peace in the house until there's an agreement around whether it is A or whether it is B. I'm here to tell you, usually the answer isn't A or B. Usually the answer is somewhere in between. Usually the answer is almost a a higher perspective, a metaphysical perspective. The answer is probably love. The answer is probably harmony. The answer is probably abundance. The questions that we grapple with here on the earth are the the implementation of those goals. And obviously there will be different opinions about it. But if we approach them as opinions and instead uh, strive towards that that higher principle, I think we can come to a middle ground. I sometimes do couples counseling and I remember a few years back, I had a couple who was, Oh my gosh. They were having very strong <laughs> words for each other. Even in the counseling session, they were calling each other names and it, and it had to do with ideas of how to raise their own children one of them was very much a, a devotee of the idea of kind of free range children the the idea that with some basic parameters children will self govern themselves and it's okay if they're out riding their bicycles it's a, it's okay if they don't have firm curfews you know their their own sense of self preservation their own good sense the the ideas and ideals that we've taught them will prevail they're they're relatively safe that's the idea that one of them was promoting. Uh, the other one was promoting quite the opposite. No, they're not even safe in our yard. That's why that's why houses have fences to keep the bad people away from our children. They need to be supervised all the time. They need to be driven to soccer practice. You know, they have to have a very narrow range until they're old enough, until they're adults and can really choose for themselves. So that was the the kind of A or B, right? That was that was going into this couple who were really kind of at war in their own relationship around how their children should be raised. So where is the middle ground here? The middle ground is knowing safety for your children. The middle ground is harmony. And when we, when we approach things from those essential truths, styles in child-rearing will, will come and will go. The, the world will ebb and flow with the idea of safety and, and, and how to raise children. But, but the truth is they both wanted wholeness for their children. They both wanted peace in their family. And it wasn't until we went to that higher principle that we began seeing that there were a place of middle ground, a way in which the two of them could raise their children in a ways that felt safe without being quite so restrictive, a place of, of freedom and yet also safety. So here's what I would like to, uh, to see us explore in our own lives. I would bet that everyone within the hearing of my voice has some kind of a conflict going on. Sometimes minor, sometimes uh, not so minor. Sometimes it involves conflict at work. Sometimes it involves conflict in our own homes. Sometimes it involves conflict with our friends or with uh, uh, business uh, uh, propositions. But what I do know is that we have an option of being right or ultimately being happy. Have you ever heard it described that before? Sometimes we're so sure of our own way, our own how, our own idea of exactly how things should be done, that we will sacrifice everything in order to be right. It's like it's the principle of the thing. It's what I know is true for me. It's simply the right thing to do. And I will devastate everyone within my field of vision in order to come out on top, by golly, by gosh, right? And you will almost see people tear down their own lives because of a belief. I'd like to suggest to you that so many of our beliefs are no more than strongly held opinions. And if we truly believe that each of us has a spark of the divine within us, that each one of us is acting on behalf of spirit in some way, if we believe in that unity of all things, then what I know is that your opinion should be just as valuable, just as honored as my opinion. And I certainly do get to act out my life based on what I believe to be true, but I also need to have room for you to do the same. Is it more important for me to be right or can I hold out instead for happiness, for me to be right for me and you to be right for you? When we look at the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, that was really the invitation that that pastor of the church made by putting the sign out on the lawn that said, everyone is welcome here. And it's also the message that we had last week, if you remember, when we talked about everyone being invited to the table. That includes everyone's opinions as well as everyone. Can we look above how you might implement your life and how I might implement my life and come to a place of ease and grace with each other? Cannot we be friends with differing opinions? So some more ideas about this managing the peaceful revolution in our own lives. You know, one of the things that I like to think allowed that that wall in Berlin to coming down was that people were standing for something rather than against something. They were standing for a unified Berlin they were standing for the idea of their friends and their neighbors literally a few hundred yards across a wall they were standing for the idea that those people could come together in freedom and enjoy and it almost it, it almost mattered less around whether that was under some system called communism or or some system called capitalism or some some system with some entirely different name, some uh, some construct of how things ought to be. It was that heartfelt sense of standing for friendship, of standing for unity, and that I believe was what brought down the wall. That they all were standing for something that God stands for. I also wonder about this idea of aligning yourself with one of those qualities of God. I think it's pretty unshakable when you stand for peace, when you stand for love, when you stand for abundance. I swear it's as though the path just just parts before you. I, I wonder if if somehow Moses had that involved in the parting of the Red Sea. He so clearly stood for that illumination and that sense of freedom that the Jewish people would have that literally the waters parted, right? That's my own observation. When I stand for love, everything unlike love simply skitters away. When I stand for peace, it's difficult for people to talk disharmony and trouble with me because I'm basking in that glow, that that spiritual glow of peace. So back to that idea of conflict in your personal lives. Have you had the opportunity to stand for something and in particular, can you align it with one of those qualities of God? So, for instance, let's say uh, you're having trouble at work and uh, you feel that maybe your business is not providing the level of customer satisfaction that it ought to be. Can you see that one of the qualities of spirit is love? That one of the qualities of spirit is order? If you stand for love and for order, there is no way that the universe can say, oh, no, 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 What we want here is more chaos. <laughs> Right? There's no way that that something can come against that and not be moved by it. Perhaps not immediately. Perhaps uh, not in the way that you would expect. But when you stand for something, when you really change yourself even in a way to stand for something on high, people will see that. They will be drawn to it. And that peaceful revolution will begin. Well, let me summarize a little bit about what we've talked about today. Today, our theme was the peaceful revolution, making sure that everyone is welcome through a peaceful celebration and cohabitation of a variety of points of view. You know, we're getting started, we're getting ready to open our center again. And of course, still as the pandemic is underway, a lot of controversy around mask wearing, around vaccinations, around minimum safe distances, around whether we can trust the CDC. Of course, here at the center, we're going to follow the Oregon Health Authority, one of of the tenants of our our beliefs is we of course follow local laws and regulations but but everyone is welcome here for the vaccinated we'll welcome them in person for the people who are choosing not to be vaccinated we'll welcome them online there is a place for you here and your opinions are welcome Do you see how we make allowances for our differences even as we celebrate the unity of all life? We also talked about today something that Ernest Holmes called the law of reciprocity, that being what we put out will be returned to us. It's one of the best arguments that I have ever heard for the idea of a peaceful revolution. If I don't put out peace, I'm going to get back what I do put out. If I put out violence, I can expect violence back. If I put out disharmony and trouble, you can know that that's what I'm going to be seeing a lot of in my own life. And the law of reciprocity says it tends to even be magnified. So if I'm a little snooty, I can expect even more snootiness back my way. If I'm a a little bit angry, you can expect that anger to even have a higher level when it's reflected back at me. And so I invite us all... I invite us all to stand for something rather than against something. I usually close with a quote from the book and a prayer. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. You know, Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, was famous for showing up once a year at a retreat center that we call Asilomar. And back in 1959, he gave one of his final addresses before his passing. It's called the Sermon by the Sea, and I want to read a piece of it because I think it fits so well with what we've been talking about today. This is from Sermon by the Sea, Ernest Holmes, 1959. He says, find me one person who is for something and against nothing, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of burden of their soul, and I will find you another Savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being. Find me one person who no longer has any fear of the universe or of God or of humanity or of anything else, and you will have brought to me someone in whose presence we may sit and fear shall vanish. Find me someone who has redeemed their own soul, and they can become my redeemer. Find me someone who has given that all that they have in love without morbidity and i will have found the lover of my soul too is this not true why because they will have revealed to me the nature of god and provided to me the possibility of all human souls this is what religious science stands for let us pray there is one power one presence one life one wholeness one abundance one love, one peace, only this one thing. I call it God, and what I know about it is that it is everywhere present, in, around, and through everyone on this planet. All are welcome to the table that is so lavishly prepared. It is God welcoming us unto its own. And so for today, I I celebrate that unity of all life. I celebrate all of our many opinions. I celebrate the idea that that though we are individuals, we make up something way more glorious that can ever be seen through individual eyes. This life, this joy, this peace, this love. I'm grateful for this certain knowledge of the unity of all life. I'm grateful to be here in the presence of love. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Now is our time of conscious giving. I invite you, if you like, to take your gift in your hand. Uh, perhaps go to your computer or, uh, or handheld device. I know many of you are logging on to cslportland.org donate. There are a variety of ways, of course, that you can contribute to our worldwide ministry, and I thank you for that. It has been a a great sustainer during this pandemic, and even as we're looking forward to welcoming people back into the sanctuary, please know that you are always welcome to remain with us online. We're here for you.